The following podcast may contain content that is not suitable for all ages or sensitive ears. Please be responsible. Thank you, and donkey. Hello, Save Them family. Landon here, and welcome to this episode of the Save Them podcast. This week, we continue with our series on the problem of pedophilia, and we're in episode three, and this week, we're going to be touching on the normalization of pedophilia at the societal level and how this is creeping in to create a situation where uh, societally the public opinion turns favorably uh, towards pedophilia and removes it from the window of criminal activity. So um, let's begin here. I have pulled an article that I thought was really well written and has really summarized this issue about how things are happening uh, to normalize pedophilia. And it's an article written uh, by a group called Exodus Cry, and it was published in 2022, uh, written by a lady called Olivia Burnett. And the title of the article is Exposing the Dangerous Movement to Normalize Pedophilia as a Sexual Orientation. And so here you see specifically how they're going to be looking at how this is being positioned. So let me start reading through this and I'll provide some commentary as we go along. Um, Again, I know everybody can read, uh, but a lot of folks listen to podcasts while they're driving and things. And and this is the best way uh, to receive the information is is actually by audio and for me to read through it. So um, bear with me if you really don't want to listen to me go through this. I'm also going to include the link to the article, and you can read it for yourself. Okay, let's begin. Olivia starts. There is a growing and comprehensive attempt to normalize pedophilia in our culture, but it's important to first define what pedophilia means, particularly because the word is used to mean different things to different people. At its most basic level, pedophilia refers to sexual attraction to children by an adult or older adolescent, not always the act of engaging in the sexual abuse of a child. Okay, so here are the differentiating between the attraction and not necessarily the sexual abuse. Okay. However, sometimes the word is used to also refer to engaging in the act. Okay, so child abuse between an adult and a child would then be referred to as pedophilia. For this blog post, we will be using the word pedophilia primarily to refer to sexual attraction to children. Okay. With that in mind, yes, there is an effort to normalize sexual attraction to children. As you can imagine, this is a recipe for disaster. The movement is even going so far as to claim that pedophilia should be understood as a sexual orientation. Okay, so now, immediately in this article, they're connecting the normalization of pedophilia to the LGBT movement. Without saying that explicitly, that's what they've done. Their goal is to remove the stigma from, quote, non-offending, unquote, pedophiles. Okay, so basically saying... If you just 
walk around perving on children, but you don't abuse them, then you're good. No, no big deal. So that's, that's kind of the societal normalization that's trying to occur. Um, and if you listen to the Ted talks that came out of Europe in episode two of this, um, you know exactly what we're talking about. If you missed episode two, please go back and listen to that. Those Ted talks are shocking. They really are. Okay. Carrying on. One of the leaders of this movement is an organization called Prostasia Foundation that advocates for replacing the word pedophile with, quote, minor attracted person or map. And we heard about that in episode two. So maps as opposed to pedophiles. Prostasia, who label themselves as a new kind of child protection organization, state that they aim to reduce child sexual abuse by taking away the shame of being attracted to a minor, thereby reducing the likelihood of someone acting out on their desires. Okay, so that's a hypothesis that's being put forth, that if you're not stigmatized by your attraction, then you, then you won't act out and abuse children. The, basically what they're saying is that the reason people abuse children is because their attraction is stigmatized. That's a pretty false assertion. There, there's no actual logic, re, logical reasoning behind that. It's just, a, they're just stating that out there as though you should somehow believe that that's the case. So Prostasia has taken that perspective. Carrying on. But this organization's true colors are revealed by what they actually support. The use and sale of sex dolls that look like children. Pornography that simulates sex with a minor. And funding research into, quote, fantasy sexual outlets, unquote, for pedophiles. Okay, so here you go. You've got an organization which actually supports these other things which are disgusting, but their pretend hypothesis out in society, which, as we'll hear later, is being adopted by groups like the UN, um, really starts affecting societal legislation and stuff. But the real issue is what's happening behind the scenes. Okay, carrying on. If that isn't enough to create caution... Multiple sources have reported that two of Prostasia's past staff members, Guy Hamilton Smith and Jeff White, were both on the sex offender registry. Not surprisingly, one of their blogs actually called for the removal of the sex offender registry. Surprise, surprise. Hamilton Smith was listed for being found in possession of child sexual abuse material, child pornography. And White was arrested for criminal sexual conduct with a child under the age of 13. The flags don't get any redder than this. Prostasia's logic is clearly unsound. It can be compared to saying we should take away the stigma from the desire of a husband to beat his wife. Maybe if he doesn't feel so bad about wanting to do it in the first place, he won't do it at all. This is what I was talking about earlier. If the husband could just repeatedly watch a video of someone else beating their wife to a pulp and fantasize about the act, he'll have less desire to act out on it himself. So, yeah, so they just jumped in and basically confirmed what I said a few minutes ago. Um, It's just the, the lack of logic 
and this nonsense is out of control. But we as active citizens have to use our brains to take a few minutes to just think through these things and and really not swallow the pill. You know, because people are going to try to pass you the pill of stupidity and lack of logic all day long and just to hope that you just buy it without asking questions. Okay. While we absolutely believe that there should be appropriate and improved avenues for pedophiles to seek help and therapy, the approach of normalizing and destigmatizing sexual attraction to children is severely misguided. In what world does normalizing the idea of a criminal act prevent that act from happening? On the contrary, this kind of thinking works to create a greater demand for sex with children. Whether consumed through child sexual abuse material, child porn, or in person, both of which directly and direly harm innocent children. The minor attracted person, or MAPS, agenda has been gaining momentum for some time now. And they're actually going to refer to some of our TED Talk people here. That's kind of cool. In 2018, at a TEDx event in Germany, Merjam Heine presented a talk entitled, Why Our Perception of Pedophilia Has to Change. That's the lady that talked about Jonas. In the talk, she states, Pedophilia is an unchangeable sexual orientation, just like heterosexuality. And it is our responsibility to reflect and overcome our negative feelings about pedophiles and to treat them with the same respect we treat other people with. Blah. Not true. More recently, the term MAP was brought into the spotlight after a university professor at Old Dominion University, Alan Walker, <laughs> so here's another thing that we had talked about in a previous episode, was interviewed by the Prostasia Foundation about his book, A Long Dark Shadow, Minor Attracted People and Their Pursuit of Dignity. The interview rightly received huge backlash by students, faculty, and the general public, as many perceived Walker's words to be condoning pedophilia. Walker has since stepped down from university, but continues to join in with a growing group of educators who advocate for non-offending minor attracted people, believing that they've done nothing wrong. Wow. I mean, that's scary. What world do you live in where you think that a 50-year-old perving after a 5-year-old is just cool? Like, <laughs> it's, wow, as long as he's watching it on the internet, it, that's good, no big deal. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, they carry on. This isn't just a fringe topic. Just last week, USA Today published an article attempting to clarify misconceptions about pedophilia, and influencers like Laura Chen and comic satirist J.P. Sears have created videos rejecting the notion that it's a good idea to normalize pedophilia. We cannot emphasize enough that the acceptance of pedophilia as a sexual orientation is the first step down a very dark path. That is so true. That is so, so true. It's a path that leads to the abuse of children, and quite obviously, it puts children everywhere at risk. Associate Professor of Criminology at UNSW, Michael Salter, recently took to Twitter to address the issue, tweeting, Sometimes stigma is good, 
some things should be stigmatized. He followed up by saying, The compulsion to abuse children is not a morally neutral one, and it should be stigmatized. In other words, attract social disapproval. We couldn't agree more. And uh, we had saved them agree with that. There are certain things in this world that you can't just say it's no big deal and therefore it becomes no big deal. No, it's still a big deal even if you say it's not a big deal. <laughs> Come on. The article continues. Proponents of the MAP movement argue that the negative association with the term pedophile causes such people to hide in the shadows, which creates the further likelihood of them abusing children. We know this logic doesn't actually work in the real world, and many studies have found that viewing images portraying sex with children, something Prostasia supports, led to an increase in actual child abuse offenses. Now, last I checked... <coughs> excuse me, wrong pipe. <laughs> um, last I checked... God, this stuff just makes me choke on my own spit. <laughs> um, watching child pornography was illegal. Like, big-time illegal. Like, prison illegal. For many years, illegal. So, Prostasia actually supports such a thing. Can you believe that? You know, we do, we've done work with uh, Homeland Security, HSI, and uh, their work in South Africa is almost entirely consumed with undoing the production and distribution of child pornography. It's crazy. And if you think that things that just happen over there don't affect you, you're sadly mistaken. The article continues, watching leads to doing, especially with regard to illicit sexual behavior. It feeds the beast. Funny they use the word beast there. It really is evil, all this. In two U.S. studies, the use of sexually explicit material via movies, magazines, and computers was associated among boys with sexual harassment perpetration, and the use of violent pornography was related to the perpetration of sexual assault. Wow. A Swedish study found that 70% of high school boys who were frequent viewers of porn, including that which featured violence and the sexual abuse of children and animals, reported that porn made them want to try out what they had seen. Well, duh. You know, it, I've heard this a lot when I've been overseas, because um, a lot of people around the world, they I'm using this as an analogy, uh, they view the United States as being extremely violent uh, society. And uh, it's funny, if you're in Canada, you know, they, they basically view the U.S. as a complete war zone, you know, south of the border. They just think we're crazy. Well, um, all these people, Canada and otherwise, have a point. If you look at the amount of violence that goes on in U.S. television and then followed up with the video games, the movies, all of it, the society becomes desensitized to all of this. And there's going to be a population of people who watch things that basically that that's what they're learning to do and that's what they're learning to crave. And these patterns are being formed in their brains and then they eventually act out on them and we're surprised, surprise, surprise. Um, that these things take place. And you you always see articles like, there's still no motive known as to why this person walked in and just killed everybody. Well, oh, the stupidity. Okay. 
carrying on with the article here. As one sex buyer described in our film Raised on Porn, his porn addiction quickly escalated to the point where he said, quote, I need to experience what I'm seeing, unquote, after which he cheated on his wife and purchased a woman in prostitution. The push to normalize the desire to sexually abuse children comes as no surprise, given the proliferation of, quote-unquote, barely legal porn, which is porn that portrays young women as children in sexual scenarios with adults. Barely legal, or teen porn, is among the most searched-for porn categories on the internet. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? And, in the name of free speech... These genres that glorify the sexual objectification of children have been able to thrive. Tragically, in America, this kind of porn is legal. It's legal in the USA. Now, let's have a conversation about justice and just how just and righteous the United States is. When we are saying that barely legal porn or teen porn is legal. Of the 118 countries that have laws concerning child sexual abuse material, also known as child pornography, America is one of only 18 other countries in the world that allows over 18-year-olds to portray children in porn. That is sickening. And you know what's also really evil about all that? Is that... The USA is the number one distributor of porn to the whole world. So now you put these two things together. Well, now the USA is the number one distributor of this horrific, barely legal, quote unquote, porn. Okay. Sexual abuse as a child is one of the most devastating and traumatic events that can happen in a person's life. And unfortunately, it's prolific in today's world. And that's so true. One in nine girls and one in 53 boys under the age of 18 experience sexual abuse or assault at the hands of an adult. You know, we have had hundreds of victims come across our paths in the years that we've been doing this work. And not a single one of them has come through and not had a child abuse story in their background. Not one. Not one single person. I mean... It's devastating what this does to kids and then the path it leads them down. Sexual abuse can be crippling to a child's development. And according to RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, victims are four times more likely to develop symptoms of drug abuse, PTSD, and major depressive episodes as adults. And the thing I want to add in there is also dissociative identity disorder. Um, especially when child abuse happens at a very young age, the dissociation starts happening and uh, people in order to protect themselves their brains they create multiple personalities and so you get dissociative identity disorder in many people who have child abuses sexual abuse as a child according to the internet watch foundation in 2021 there is 15 times more child sexual abuse material child porn found online than there was just 10 years ago So lest you think that any of these situations are just sort of emerging or whatnot, or we're just finding out about uh, these new things, you know, they've always been there. Not the case. Things are getting worse. 
The Guardian reported on a study in the UK which found that the majority of child sexual abuse rings were made up of men under the age of 30. That means that the men in these gangs grew up in the age of high-speed internet, in which, more than any time in history, they've had unfettered access to porn that glorifies the sexual abuse of children. There's a thing we talk about, uh, which is mind lock, and I think we referred to this in our last podcast. But when you see things and you're exposed to porn as a, as a kid and you're watching young pornography, well, your mind kind of locks onto that. And when you get older, those patterns of sexual desire don't actually go away. They, they remain. And that's exactly what they're alluding to here. If the push to use the term minor attracted person was merely meant to clarify the difference between those who have sexual attraction towards children and those who actually act on it, that would be one thing. But as organizations like Prostasia demonstrate, this is about creating widespread acceptance for thoughts and acts that embrace and glorify the sexual abuse of children. Don't be fooled by this movement's cover narrative. As an anti-trafficking organization, this is Exodus Cry talking in this article, we deeply believe that the use of language is powerful in shaping culture and public perception. To in any way accept the normalization of the desire to sexually abuse a child or try to minimize it through less offensive language is 100% inexcusable. And Save Them stands right with Exodus Cry on this. Language is so important, and the way we talk about these things in our society is so important. And I, I actually remember um, early on when the whole transgender thing was starting, um, and I remember talking at a safe house, and uh, they were talking about providing services for boys and girls, and and uh, I said, well, and then they said, well, what about transgender kids? <laughs> I was like, I asked the question. I said, are you are you a biblical organization or secular? They said, well, we're Christ-centered. We're biblical. I said, well, then there's no such thing. There is no such thing as a transgender child. It doesn't exist. There are boys and there are girls. End of story. This whole social norm of creating this whole sexual gender confusion thing is not biblical. It doesn't exist. There's a minute population of people on the earth who have a condition called um, sexual dysphoria. I think that's what it's called. Um, where they actually like have a mental disorder where they're confused about their sex or whatever. But that is like, it's not something that you create legislation about to create services for or anything like that. It's nothing like the 40% of uh, millennials claiming to be, you know, LGBT or whatever. That's, that's a fad. That's, that's not real. That that's a fad where people are uh, basically chasing sexual confusion and things. Cause it's the thing to do. Um, many of these people are going to just move on and grow out of that. Just like, you know, people have gone in through fads throughout history where they kind of jump into the something. And then by the time they're 50, they're not nearly living the life they were in there when they were 20. Okay. So, um, it's just kind of putting things into context. Point being, language matters. It really matters. And the article continues. We advocate for the protection of children from sexual exploitation of all kinds. And that starts with how we think about and talk about acts of sexual abuse. And uh, it talk, goes on to talk about how uh, they were going to release a movie later in the year. Uh, I guess that would be in 2022. 
uh, called Beyond Fantasy, a hard-hitting three-part film series uncovering the industry's widespread exploitation of children. And uh, there's an episode in there called Barely Legal, where they expose the genre of porn that overtly promotes the sexual abuse of children, uh, which has been common, become common in mainstream porn. So I haven't seen that, uh, but I I will actually go and um, check that out. I think that's really cool uh, that they took the time to do that. So I just wanted to read through this article. I mean, I thank you to Exodus Cry for putting that out there and taking a strong stance. Um, as you know, not many people take hard stances on pretty much anything anymore. Um, but when I uh, highlight that, I want to highlight the fact that not taking a strong stance on things that are right and just have repercussions. And that's going to move us into our, our next article real quick, um, which was just released in April of this year. And it is going to tell us what the UN is busy with. Okay, so we've talked about how there's a push kind of at the psychological academic level to normalize pedophilia and to destigmatize attraction to children. Well, now we also have talked about over the different podcasts about the movement of the age of consent. Well, here we go. As of this year, the UN is now stepping in to provide guidance on sexual consent. I mean, what on earth is the UN doing stepping into the realm of sexuality? Like, what role do they really have to play? And this is the thing. You know, they, they sit over in New York and they fly in from all over the world and they they think that they're kind of the master and commander of all things. But, you know, morality and con- religious conviction and the way that ch- parents should raise their children and all that is not the it's not the purview of the U.N. It's not their role. They don't get to decide what human rights are. God has already done that for us. We're we're good. We don't need the UN to tell us what we can and cannot do. And we definitely don't need the UN telling our nations how to remove the protections for children. So let's have a look here. So the title of this article, uh, which was released in April of 2023, says that UN-backed reports suggest normalizing pedophilia, decriminalizing all sexual activity. Wow. That's pretty great. Oh, sorry. This is Daily Wire. Let me let me read through this. Um, I think this is this is a pretty short article. The United Nations backed report published last month, so that would be um, published in March because this article came out in April. Suggests that global leaders normalize pedophilia by allowing children to legally decide on engaging in sexual activities with adults. Wrapped inside a human rights based analysis on the impact of criminal laws prescribing sexual and reproductive health rights. Oh, I hate that. Consensual sexual activity and gender ideology. The International Committee of Jurists. Now, what these people have to do with gender ideology is beyond me. The UNAIDS and the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights published the report which calls for offenses related to, quote, sex, drug use, HIV, sexual and reproductive health, homelessness, and poverty to be decriminalized. Wow. Okay. 
So also what the UN is doing is it's stepping in and, and um, falsely labeling abortion, which is the murder of children, as reproductive health. Um, they're stepping in and saying that should be decriminalized. Look, if a country is against women killing children uh, because it's infanticide, then that should be that country's right. I don't think the UN has any, any role to play here. Quote, sexual conduct involving persons below the domestically prescribed minimum age of consent to sex may be consensual, in fact, if not in law, the Geneva-based ICJ wrote. Authors of the report further advised lawyers, judges, and law enforcement to consider the rights and capacity of persons under 18 years of age to make decisions about engaging in consensual sexual conduct and their right to be heard in matters concerning them. Pursuant to their evolving capacities and progressive autonomy, persons under 18 years of age should participate in decisions affecting them with due regard to their age, maturity, and best interests, and with specific attention to non-discrimination guarantees. I don't know if any of you out there have ever had maybe like a 14-year-old. Um... But 14-year-olds don't make good decisions. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just saying. The report took over five years to develop and based its findings on feedback and reviews from jurists, academics, legal practitioners, human rights defenders, and various civil society organizations. Such results primarily focused on the impact of criminal laws prescribing sexual and reproductive health and rights, consensual sexual activity, gender identity, gender expression, HIV non-disclosure, exposure and transmission, drug use, and the possession of drugs for personal use, according to the report. Wow. I don't know if, uh, if you guys are getting tired of listening to this, but I am. Um, but the, the amount of words that get thrown together here, these are so many topics lumped into one thing. It's incredible how they put this together. According to the UNAIDS, 20 countries criminalized or otherwise prosecute transgender people. 67 countries still criminalize same-sex sexual activity, with 10 imposing the death penalty for it. 115 countries criminalize drug use. More than 130 criminalize HIV exposure, non-disclosure, and transmission. And over 150 countries criminalize some aspects of prostitution. So the, the, the UN is basically stepping in here and saying, look, we don't care what your moral code is, country X. Um, we don't care if you're biblical. We don't care if you're Muslim. We don't care... If um, your traditions say that these things, um, when it comes to sexual degradation and drug abuse, um, are the domain of the UN, and you don't get to have a say in how you treat these things. Um, a lot of the, the territory the UN is stepping into these days is regarding biblical issues. Um, and in the Muslim world, it's Quranic uh, issues as well. I don't know if Quranic is a proper word, but, you know, things found in the Quran. Um, okay. Criminal law is among the harshest of tools at the disposal of the state to exert control over individuals. As such, it ought to be a measure of last resort. However, globally, 
there has been a growing trend towards over-criminalization. Ian Siderman, law and policy director at ICJ, said in a news release, We must acknowledge that these laws not only violate human rights, but the fundamental principles of criminal law themselves. Retired Judge Edwin Cameron of the Constitutional Court of South Africa argues criminal law deems some groups protected and others condemned and ostracized. Well, yeah, that's the way it works. Quote, In this way, the criminal law performs an expressive function, and it has dramatic consequences on people's lives, Edwin wrote. It sometimes entails a harshly discriminatory impact on groups identified with the disapproved or stigmatized conduct, unquote. Well, here's the deal. Uh, again, the pursuit of adults perving on children should be stigmatized. Correct. You are correct, my sir. And there should be penalties for said conduct. Correct. And if that is what you want to call overcriminalization, then I guess I'm in support of overcriminalization because you and I disagree. The report also argues killing unborn children in elective abortions is a human right. Well, isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Calling for the decriminalization for decriminalizing the procedure and removing punishment for pregnant mothers who consume drugs or alcohol during pregnancy. So basically, the UN is saying to countries who believe that the life of a child is sacred, they're saying, no, actually, you're wrong. It's the human right of that mother to murder her child in any way she sees fit. How do they get to that conclusion? <laughs> I mean, infanticide is is been around forever, right? And um, there's a reason why societies are against it um, for many a myriad of reasons. Um, but as Christians, um, obviously, you know, it's a no brainer. Like you can't like just decide to kill people. Like <laughs> that is so ridiculous. Um, but the UN doesn't think it's ridiculous. The UN thinks it's a human right for you to kill people. All right. Congratulations. Okay. Quote, abortion must be taken entirely out of the purview of the criminal law, including for having, aiding, assisting with, or providing an abortion, the report states. Well, that's interesting. So what they're saying is that murderers who assist in the murder of children should not be criminalized because you're participating in a type of murder that the UN endorses. So, you know, I kind of think that in some countries, let's say, I think they should have the right to um, murder all 12-year-olds because 12 is such a ridiculous age and we don't want any more 12-year-olds. Um, and as a society, we've deemed that the murder of 12-year-olds is, uh, is a thing we should do. And you know what? I'm going to petition the UN. This is satire, just in case you can't pick up on my um, sarcasm. But we're going to petition the UN, and we're going to ask them to endorse the murder of 12-year-olds as a human right of all of us who want 12-year-olds to be murdered. There's no difference in what I'm saying and the murder of children, be it abortion 
outside the womb, whatever. I mean, it's all murder of children. But the UN wants it to be a human right. Wow. I guess the humans who are being murdered don't have any rights to actually live. Officials published the report on March 8th in recognition of, get this, International Women's Day. Alleging a connection between women's rights and the age of sexual consent. Okay, so the main thing here, the the thing that's the most important is that teenage girls get to have sex with old men. That that's the woman's right that needs to be protected. Seems to me like that should be we should change the name of that to like International Perverted Old Men's Day. I think that's what that should be. And then, and they should pass that legislation then. What on earth? Women's rights activist Michelle Uriah Rao of Melbourne, Australia, tweeted that publishing the report on International Women's Day succeeded in, quote, gaslighting women everywhere, unquote. She's right. This hideous UN report seeks to decriminalize sex, even between children and minors. This is evil, Yura Rao said. And she is so right. That report is evil. The UN is evil. <laughs> I mean, what can you, what else can you draw from this? Like, what kind of person thinks that they have as an, well, what kind of organization and group of people that run these organizations think they have the purview to step in and decide that a certain type of, of murder, that a certain type of uh, sexual abuse our human rights that everybody that should be protected. This is crazy talk is what this is. It's crazy town. And um, we we would do well to stand up against this. Now, interestingly, the UN got a huge amount of pushback on this, which is amazingly awesome. We're so excited about that. And the, the editor has a subsequent uh, note here. And it says, well, it says subsequent to publication of this story, the UN clarified that quote that by quote sexual contact and conduct the sorry let me start over subsequent to publication of this story the un clarified that by quote sexual conduct involving unquote those below the age of consent it meant to include only incidents in which both parties fit the criteria it was not immediately clear if the un intended to correct its imprecise wording so so now they're backpedaling. And man, anybody who's been involved in any kind of government or just, man, any large organization where things have to go through committees and they have to have approvals for documents and that, these things are scrubbed and they're scrubbed and they're re-scrubbed and they're scrubbed again. And what they do, though, is that they push the boundaries and then they wait to see what response they get. And then when they don't get the response they're looking for, they have some kind of canned response to the public that says, oh, that's not what we meant. What it is, is it's hand-waving, it's lack of accountability, and it's lying. It's just lying. But So now they're saying, actually, that the report was meant to say that if two 14-year-olds want to have sex, that that's their prerogative. Okay, again, I don't know if any of you out there have had a 14-year-old. 14-year-olds don't make good decisions. 14-year-olds do not need to be running around having consensual sex with 10-year-olds. I don't care. I don't care. So what the report is saying is that if you're under 18, as long as it's consensual, you're good. 
Well, a nine-year-old and 11-year-old never need to have sex with each other ever, 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 no matter what. And consent between a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old is not consent at all. It is confusion. It is manipulation. It is all kinds of things, but it is not consensual. So we'll have to see. I don't know if the UN will reword it, but even if they do reword it, it's just bad in a different way. <laughs> it's not It's not any better. They've just screwed it up again and overstepped their bounds. And what they need to do is retract this nonsense and be focused with things like peacekeeping missions in war-torn countries and get out of the business of sexual morality and trying to tell people how to live their lives because that is the domain of the culture, of the nation, of the religion, of the parents, um, and not of some governmental organization sitting in New York City, which is so far off the cliff of its own perspective, which is different than the majority of the world. Um, they have nothing to, nothing of value to add here, and they really need to stop it. So, anywho, I'm going to get off my soapbox on that one now, but I know it's a little bit long today. I wanted to go ahead and squeeze in Exodus Cry and the UN, and... Um, and I hope that that gives you a, a, an appreciation for how this conversation is being manipulated, but actually wielded into a bit of a sword at the global level. And it'll affect legislation. It'll affect countries. And, um, and we also saw the connection today where the LGBT uh, movement has grabbed onto this, even if unintentionally. So just by projecting a philosophy of, you know, my sexual orientation can be anything I want it to be and you can't have anything to say about it, this gets lumped into that and is is jumping on the bandwagon and the coattails of the LGBT thing. Well, guess what? This is definitely a bridge too far. And, um, and we're going to talk a little bit next time about the trans agenda. Um, because that is a bridge that has gone way too far and has taken a minority topic and turned it into a popular fad, which is hurting people, specifically children. So we're going to address the trans agenda next time. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Save Them podcast as we tackle the problem of pedophilia, and we will catch you next time. This is Landon out. Cheers.